This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Let's talk water on today's Simple Man Bible Study, Episode 9. Not high-quality H2O when we talk about water, by the way, but rather bodies of water. What's your preferred body of water? Now, my favorite body of water is ocean. Ah, sweet memories of the white sands of Destin, Florida, where Chris, my now wife of 31 years, and I both realized we loved each other. Even the ocean in Hawaii, honeymoon and family reunion later, amazing. Huntington Beach was our favorite spot with Chris while I was in grad school at Fuller Seminary in Southern California. We loved getting down there just for a little while. What about lakes? What comes to your mind? Virginia. I remember my future brother-in-law, Rob, my sister Kathy, and a few others going water skiing. Now, I was there but that day failed to master the skill of water skiing. It was a pretty epic fail before we even knew there was such a thing as epic fails. Also, beautiful Lake Tahoe for a family reunion at Uncle Lloyd's and Aunt Judy's, sending out prayers, giving uh, prayers for Uncle Lloyd and Aunt Judy today. And uh, there's some fish story. I wish Chris was here. She could fill you in about that when Jessica, my daughter, uh, caught a fish or got to touch a fish. But anyway, I want to go to another lake where I have a memory. This one is 13 miles long by seven miles wide. It's pretty big, pretty vast and deep. And I rode in a boat. And the lake was just much bigger than I anticipated Now, that day, there were no storms or dangerous winds, but when we docked, we hiked up to a spot overlooking the Lake Gennesaret, though you may know it better as the Sea of Galilee. We walked as a tour group. I was with my mom, and I was 18 years old, touring Israel and then Greece. Ah, it was amazing. Very cool. Our tour guide grabbed a Bible and suggested that perhaps in such a spot as this, Jesus would have preached the Sermon on the Mount. The guide's name was Moshe, which is Moses to you and me. At that point, he then looked at me and asked me to read the Beatitudes. I remember feeling honored and blessed as the youngest on the tour to get to maybe stand near where Jesus was and repeat and read the famous words that he taught. I can also recall my mind wrestling very quickly with the question whether to pronounce it Blessed or blessed? Kind of funny, right? When you think about it, you don't hear anyone saying hashtag blessed, do you? But people still often, when they read the words of Jesus, say blessed are the meek. Blessed indeed. So we leave behind the motorized vessel that my mom and I boarded that day, and we get in a smaller boat with the apostles and Jesus. Now, you should probably picture the Sea of Galilee as bigger than your mind has imagined. Seven miles wide and 13 miles long is a little bit bigger than I just ever had pictured. I don't know about you. Maybe not for you. Deeper to the bottom than you pictured. Wider from land to land than you thought. Now, I'll have to imagine not the tranquil, beautiful day that we rode the boat across the Sea of Galilee. But with me, you'll have to picture when the weather changes quickly and fiercely, as it often does there at the Sea of Galilee with those crosswinds that come down. 
picture the boat as well. 26 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet high. Can you picture those dimensions somewhat? That comes from an actual Galilean boat that dates to 2000 years ago and was found in 1986 in the Sea of Galilee when it had dried up a little bit and there was this skeleton remains of a fisherman's boat. So pretty amazing that we have that. By those dimensions, it could hold 15 people. We'll have to imagine when we get on that boat that there is a ferocious windstorm that's going to hit us. Not just any storm, but a furious squall, a tempest, a terrorizing situation. Waves are going to be crashing over us and into the boat as well. Is that helping you any? Overwhelming and underwater. That's what we've talked about. Let me ask you this. What is your context of a storm that was scary for you? Was it a windstorm, a rainstorm, or is it some sort of circumstances in your life that that comes to your mind, this storm of just overwhelming you, making you just feel like you're drowning or underwater? Now, I don't think so much of a windstorm in this case when I think of a scary storm. I think of some pretty scary thunderstorms and trying to get somewhere through the rain by car. Do you want to hear about it? Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad you do. Okay, well, it's your call. But anyway, spending one weekend with about seven other guys, this is back in the college days, by the way, crammed in a small pickup truck in the bed of that thing, driving from college campus in Tulsa, Oklahoma, ORU, and driving to Baton Rouge overnight, 580 miles. I don't think speed limits back then were 70 miles per hour either. I think they were 55. Now, this opportunity became because one of our wingmates' brother worked for a rental car company, and they needed eight suckers. I mean, eight students desperate to make some fast, easy money. That was what was promised. This is an easy gig. It's a midnight run. It's really easy to make a lot of money quick. Just to drive back rental cars from Baton Rouge in a very quick turnaround. The plan was to drive overnight to Baton Rouge, sleeping in the bed of that covered pickup truck. I want you to imagine that this is not a very realistic idea. I want you to picture that it was cold and cramped and sleep would be lacking. When we finally arrived in Baton Rouge, each of the drivers got into the rental cars and immediately started the turnaround trip 580 miles back and on very little sleep. But yes, it gets worse. It began to rain. And yes, it began to storm. A furious storm. It sure felt that way to me. And visibility was extremely limited. And just to make things interesting, this was, of course, long before Google Maps, MapQuest, or Ask Jeeves, for that matter. Does anybody remember Ask Jeeves? I had AAA, though, because Grandpa Elkins insisted it was a good idea, but I sure didn't have time for a triptych. And you have to be my generation or older to even know what that is, I think. This is a little trip down memory lane, trip ticks. But without GPS, we were adding the stress of having to follow the guy in front of you who may or may not be driving too fast in the storm. And you, as you're driving, may or may not be hydroplaning as you try to keep up. Yeah, that was me. This is all just a beautiful picture of tranquility and peace, is it not? A bunch of college morons trying not to get killed and get back to Tulsa. 
Now, obviously, looks like I made it back alive. I'm not a ghost telling you what happened years ago. We did make it back to the dorm eventually, completely exhausted. And we wound up sleeping, well, I did, all day Sunday. That weekend was really not such a big win after all. We got our paychecks. It took several weeks of asking the brother of the rental car guy, hey, when's our money coming? And yes, of course, it was less than promised. I don't remember what excuses, but yeah, it was not a big payoff. So that's my storm that comes to my mind. It was scary and exhausting hydroplaning, but I'm sure glad it was a thunderstorm on the highway rather than a tempest on the Sea of Galilee. The 12 apostles and Jesus did not have GPS, Google, Siri, or anything else, but what they had when they embarked to go across the other side of the Sea of Galilee was the Son of God, for one. That's a good start. Right there, if you're in the boat with Jesus, we know it doesn't mean that storms won't hit, right? However, if you've got Jesus with you in the boat, one way or the other, you'll be all right. And two, don't forget, we have four professional expert fishermen who know the Sea of Galilee and the crazy, furious squalls and storms. One of them is Simon Peter the Rock, the man that we often look through his eyes to experience Jesus for this Rock the World series. His brother Andrew is one of the other ones. Then the Sons of Thunder themselves, the Sons of Thunder, James and John. So we've got Jesus. Presumably, we have the 12 apostles, including those four professional fishermen. And that only sets this up better because when those four professional fishermen are terrified, you know this storm is no joke. Where have I heard that if you're on a plane with bad turbulence or some mechanical issues, you look at the flight attendants to read how how anxious and nervous they are. They're experienced professionals. If they look panicked then there's a good reason to be panicked. So that is what our four experts on the boat are going to look like. Panicked, terrified, anxious, scared for their lives. Had they been through storms before? Absolutely. Had they been afraid for their lives before like this? We don't know. Now, I want to give you some background. We've got three accounts of this story in the Gospels. We'll start with Mark's gospel, which makes sense because church history and tradition tells us that Mark traveled with Simon Peter, our rock, and that Mark wrote down his sermons, his collection of stories. Mark wrote that down for his gospel. So Simon Peter's preaching and stories then reported and recorded by Mark through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you read the Gospel of Mark today, it sure fits the profile of Simon Peter that we are learning. It's raw, real, unfiltered, and is often about action. There ain't a lot of standing around chatting. Peter and Mark get right to it. Also, one thing our Simon Peter was, as I said, is unfiltered. Remember, words just go straight from his brain to his mouth, good, bad, or ugly. So a little more background on the four Gospels before we get on that boat. We also believe the evidence points to Mark being the first gospel. We believe that because large chunks of Matthew and Luke's gospel, it's quite apparent that Matthew and Luke have a copy of Mark's gospel that they are referencing as they write down their own gospels, often using the same words and every once in a while just tweaking or changing a little word here or there. We see this because Mark will report the raw, unfiltered words 
And it sure does look like that Matthew and Luke seem to suggest, yeah, that's true what Mark wrote, but I wouldn't have said it quite like that. I think there's a little different way to say it, maybe a little better way to say it. So it's interesting. We have different personalities that wrote, and that comes through the Gospels. Though all inspired by the Holy Spirit, they had different purposes too. Yes, all present Jesus as the Son of God who was crucified, dead, and buried and rose from the dead, but read them and see that still they had additional unique purposes for writing it. Sometimes it's obvious and other times not so much. Different perspective as well. Consider eyewitnesses Matthew and John and secondhand Mark from Peter, although Mark is on the scene a little bit, we find out later. And then Luke is like a journalist who must have interviewed so many people, and he just does a beautiful job as well. They each have different points to emphasize. So you get Luke emphasizing the Christmas story focused not only on Mary, but on her relative Elizabeth and Zecharias. You get some other extra stories that we only get from Luke. While Matthew's laser is pointed at Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus in his Christmas accounts, Mark's Simon Peter-influenced account doesn't even bother with the Christmas story at all. I said, it's action. Let's go get right into it. And then John. Oh, John, you come and you take a whole different point of view on Christmas. You don't worry about Christmas around a stable or anything like that. You focus on Jesus Christ as the Word who became flesh, the Word who was with God and was God. You're taking a view not just from 10,000 feet, but 100,000 feet times 100,000 feet, a cosmic perspective. Now, John's Gospel appears to have been written down near the end of his life, possibly 20 to 25 years-ish after Mark, Matthew, and Luke. It seems like John's saying, wow, there's a whole lot more to the story than has been put down on papyrus. To me, it's a little bit like this. This is my simple man sort of thinking about it. So you know the sports references are coming. Just imagine that your college football team won the national championship. It's been a while for my college football team. It's been since 2000, so it takes a little extra imagination, but we're going to get there. I know it. Imagine this, that your college football team wins the national championship, and then some years later, the MVP, the quarterback's best friend, writes the story of that season, relying upon that quarterback. So that would be Mark relying on Peter. And then imagine the league leader, the nation's leader in receptions, the wide receiver who has the big you know, game-winning catch in the championship. He writes another book about that season and those games. That would be Matthew. And then imagine that the local, the newspaper team reporter, this is going to be Luke, wrote another book with just tons of interviews and quotes hitting some different angles. Then, years later, the star defensive player, the linebacker who led the country in tackles, decides... Man, the offense sure gets a lot of attention in those books, but defense wins championships. Let's talk about the defense's perspective on the head coach, the big games, and the offense. Let's make sure that people know it wasn't just the quarterback and one or two guys. We got a whole defense over here. Let's make sure people know about the guys on the D-line in the trenches. 
at least something people should know. John would be thinking the safety was important too. Even if not too many people know about him, they still need to know something. That's John. And that's why we do know something about some of those other guys among the 12, Nathaniel, Philip, Thomas, and Andrew. That's all thanks to John. We know a lot more about Jesus, too. It's as if John decided, let's not just talk about the games of the season. Let's go back into strength and conditioning. Let's go back into preseason and spring football. He's giving us a different background than the other Gospels do. Now, let's let's go ahead and get overwhelmed and underwater with our apostles and see both the humanity of Jesus and the divine just blow you away power of Jesus. I want you to see that not just from the scriptures, not just from Mark's account or John's account. I want you to see that in your life. I think that Jesus wants to do something powerful in your life, and I have no idea what that is, but I don't want you to miss it. So this is the good news according to Mark. Chapter 4, 35 to 41, Jesus calms the storm. And for this, I'm reading the NIV. That day when evening came, he said, he's Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. That just as he was is is interesting. It's just as if, okay, we're done here. We've been working all day. Just let's go. You're in the boat. We're just out of here. All right. It goes on. There were also other boats with him. And that's interesting. There were other boats there. I don't know. Did those boats follow along? Well, hello. I'd love a little help from Mark here. Uh, I'd love a little bit more information. Did the other boats go through the storm, but they didn't have Jesus with them. So when it just stopped, it just stopped. We don't know. Let's go back. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Wow. What a picture. Messiah, Alpha and Omega, word become flesh, just catching some much needed Z's. Sleeping. This is the humanity of Jesus. He's been ministering. He's been healing. He's been preaching and teaching. He's been driving out demons. He's been surrounded by crowds who want his help. They want his attention. They want his time. Are you exhausted just hearing this or are you exhilarated by these thoughts? At the end of that, Jesus is tired. He's done. You guys set sail. I'm crashing humanity of Jesus. You ever get tired? Feels like every youth I see on Sunday morning at River City Church in New Braunfels answers the question, how are you? They answer with that one word, tired. Of course we get tired. Even doing God's work is tiring. Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh felt it too. He knows what you're feeling right now. He's able to help you in your time of need. I love it the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. Chapter 4, 15, 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted and tested in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Back to the scriptures in Mark, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
Again, recall there are four professional fishermen on board. They are freaking out. Scripture says Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Wow. Quiet. Be still. Stop. It dies down immediately. Completely calm. Wouldn't you like for Jesus to do that in your life right now? Whatever storm you may be facing, just stop. Jesus just says, just be still. Now, let me confess, there's never a time where I first don't ask Jesus when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Hey, Jesus, I'm overwhelmed here. I'm underwater. Don't you care? Do something. Stop it, Jesus. Just stop it. One of my problems is that I know Jesus can always stop the storm. He's capable. He is able. That's a problem because I'm always going to ask for that. However, you and I have learned that sometimes he straight up stops the storm, and I love it, but other times he just stops us. He just says, just hold on, just be quiet, you be still. Psalm 46.10, be quiet, be still, and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the book of Daniel, another favorite, before getting chunked into the fiery furnace, They said, our God is able to rescue us. Our God is able, perfectly capable. But even if our God doesn't rescue us, we will not bow to another God. Our allegiance, our love, our worship belongs to the one true God. Big stories, big stories, they are delivered. There's that fourth man in the fire, another in the fire. Sometimes little stories too, remember? Big stories, Jesus shuts the wind up. Tells the waves off, literally, just like clap on, clap off. Remember that? The clapper, he just turns it off with a word. Little stories, Jesus says to you and to me, quiet, be still. You have nothing to fear. Don't be afraid. I'm with you in this storm. I'm with you through this storm. I'm with you after the storm. Little stories, good. Little stories are important for our faith and our trust, but I still think the big stories are important to us. We still need those from time to time, where Jesus doesn't just show up, but shows off his power. For that, I will pray for you in just a few moments now, and I'll pray for the little stories too. But back to verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? As another man will say to Jesus on a different occasion, I believe, but help me in my unbelief or increase my faith. Not a guilt trip or shaming thing because we have reasons for fear, some of which are extremely helpful. Don't go out on the lake when the storm is coming. They did not know that, so they're out on the lake. But if we know it, we don't need to test it. The storm was a legitimate reason to be afraid. However, if Jesus is with you, everything's going to be all right. I want you to know something. We go around asking God for the big thing, the opportunity to come through big, and sometimes Jesus does just that. Has he done that in your life, just something so big? Sometimes when he does the big thing, It scares us even more than the storm itself, that situation we were in. Now, that sounds so counterintuitive, I realize. But when Jesus speaks to you through his Holy Spirit and tells you something you need to hear or gives you a promise just for you, it can be scary. 
Jesus is more powerful than we imagine. Jesus purposely did big things, miracles, healings, exorcisms, shutting the storm and wind down. He was showing us that he is Lord over sickness, depression, discouragement. He is Lord over every evil, unclean spirit and demon. He is Lord over all creation and nature. Jesus knows we need to understand some of his power. We do not serve a wimpy Jesus. We serve a powerful Jesus. We serve the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, who tells the wind stop, tells the waves to shut off, and it does. But it can be scary when it does. So Mark 4, 41, the apostles, those guys, they were terrified. Everything's calm. Everything's still. And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? He is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is master. He is created over all, all your circumstances, all your problems, all your challenges, all your fears, all your anxieties. He is Lord over all. And he can just say, boom, go away. And a lot of times, you know, he doesn't. He says, my grace is enough for you. I'll see you through it. Just hang on. Trust in me. I am with you through this pain, through this suffering. I'm going to use that suffering for something good. I'm going to build you up. Your faith and your trust in me is going to be stronger. He does all these things. Therefore, since we have such a hope, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 3.12, we are very bold. Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com.